as we get back into our study, I think my deal here is we get back in our study of First um, Timothy. I, I, uh, you know, we've got this week and two more weeks left in in First Timothy, and I'm excited uh, to finish strong. We're not going to taper off here. I was I was under the teaching of a man one time who spent years trying to get through a book and never really finished, and I've always held that over his head. Every time I almost every time I see him, I give him a hard time about it. Uh, so we are going to finish strong in uh, in First Timothy and uh, specifically in chapter six. But I I try to come prepared not to just share with you what the Lord has given me to share with you, but also insight as to how the we say this at work how the sausage is made. You know how lessons like this get made because what I do is not magic. There is nothing magical about it. There is a spiritual component, and I need the Lord. I I absolutely need the Lord to show up. But the reason I'm saying this is everyone in this room, everyone who listens to this recording later, can break Scripture down the exact same way that I that I do. There's there's nothing special about Mitch Dobson, uh, except maybe my good looks. Other than that, there's nothing... Wow, I expected a larger laugh, honestly. Everybody was like, that's not even funny. Um, There's nothing special about me and the way I break scripture down. You can do the exact same thing, okay? The Holy Spirit is the teacher. Um, I was looking specifically back in 1 Timothy chapter 4 this week for another purpose. And it was interesting because it was I was reminded of the word remind and that the teacher, the preacher's job is to remind the brethren. That means it's not my job to actually teach you anything. It's to remind you and I remind you by pointing you to scripture because scripture has stated it. I'm reminding you of it. Okay, and so one of the things we're going to do in the in the time we have today is I want to look a little bit at how I approach a passage as much as the content associated with the passage. Okay, so bear with me for a minute. This is our passage, First Timothy chapter six, thirteen through sixteen. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Jesus Christ, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show, who is the blessed uh, or blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen, nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. And this may not make for great recording or potentially to the best of my ability, I'll repeat it for the folks on Zoom. But how would you approach breaking down this passage? And let me just say there's not necessarily a right answer or a wrong answer. Okay, it's a it's a fairly long passage, but I've given you tools as we've walked through First Timothy, uh, talked about different structures that I use, different approaches that I take. And so. I took one specific approach today, but it's not the only approach. That's why you can have 15 preachers get up and preach on the same passage and we all get different stuff out of it, right? Yeah. That's the beauty of the Holy Spirit and how he works in us. But what's one of the ways we could break this passage down? By, by sentence is what I heard. What else? Yeah, were you saying the same thing? By applying each part of it to our lives, like in our head, like, okay, 
by each part. So I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm talking about the mechanics. So I'm gonna tee off that word part, right? So whether it's sentence or phrase, right? So we potentially could have had a lesson about I give thee charge in the sight of God. We could just focus on that. And I would encourage you sometimes when you're reading scripture and you come across a sentence or a phrase like that, maybe that's the thing God's trying to teach you, right? So sometimes you need to read for depth, not distance, okay? And don't just blow over that. And we're actually going to talk a fair amount about the charge in the side of God today, right? And that's one of our, our components. But basing it by, by sentence or by using grammar, we've, or uh, yeah, syntax and, and punctuation, semicolon. right? The semicolons, right? We've, we've looked at that before, right? We've got a semicolon here. We've got a colon here. We've got another semicolon. A lot of commas in this one really big sentence. Maybe by <laughs> except, word. Yeah, except except for this <laughs> sentence here, right? This is a really big sentence, right? So, what are some other other things that we could do if we were break if you were if you were assigned to teach this passage to it as a devotion or as a, in a class? How else could you potentially do it? break it down by who they're speaking of. Who they're speaking about, the subject mm -hmm. of the, right, the, the subject of each phrase. Yeah. So you've got the Tim, or Paul and Timothy, right, and Paul's giving Timothy charge in the sight of God, and he's Jesus Christ, you've got Pontius Pilate, you've got the Lord again, uh, you've got a, a description of Jesus Christ, right, um, You've got the concepts of man. Actually, you're not. Gonna, I don't have any prizes to give away, but that's kind of how we're gonna. Part of how we're gonna break it down today. Those are some of the the themes that are gonna come through. What else? Action. What's the action? The actions, right? <laughs> actions. Sometimes you can. Some people will take and they'll pull out a passage like this and they'll just circle the verbs, right? So I give the charge, right? Or I give, right? Um, sight, uh, quickeneth. Uh, witness, um, appearing. I'm, I'm sure I skipped some. It's it's close. So so there's different ways you can look at subjects. You can look at verbs. You can look at sentence structure. You want to say something, Brian? It looks like you want to say something. I would look up what in the world potentate. Means. You would look up specific <laughs> words, like especially if you don't know what a potentate is, right? Right. You might look up specific words and and themes. And spoiler alert, we'll get there. Potentate and King of Kings and Lord of Lords is a lot of description words for the same concept, okay? Would this you, is who would want to look at biblical definitions because there's a difference, isn't there? Like as far as like Webster and then sure, like sure. Oh yeah. Well, there's definitely a difference between biblical definitions and and what we might do today. For yeah, for people. right, right. Yeah. For 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 modern, one of the tools I use, I know that uh, <laughs> others have used it. I, I know Brandon's referenced it a few times. Um, that um, the Webster's eighteen twenty eight. Uh, dictionary, which is online, uh, and it actually it gives you a little bit better timeline back to the King James and the words that were that were used at least in the King James. So we'll talk about potentate, but this is good. This is the kind of thing that I want you to think about. One of the things that we haven't really talked about significantly, but we will today, is this concept of the five W's and an H. I don't know if you've heard that from uh, terminology before, but uh, Rudyard Kipling wrote this, I, I love this 
poem. I have six faithful men, or faithful serving men, and they taught me all I knew. Their names are what and where and when and why and how and who, right? So who, what, when, where, why, and how. Those are really good Bible study tools. Who are we talking about? When? Why? What are they doing, right? How? So actually today, this passage jumps out very succinctly into these concepts. So if you probably, I mean, you have the, on, oh, and I haven't handed out, I did that on purpose because I didn't want to ruin the, the <laughs> thing for you guys to pass those out. Um, so on your, on your notes, you have the, uh, like I normally do, the passage up top with respect to the, uh, with respect to the verse, right? And I, uh, I don't think, I don't know if I included the, the poem or not. Uh, but you have, you don't have this specifically on your page, but you ha we're going to look at each of these in the time we have left. In about 30 minutes, we're going we're gonna to look at each of our audience, our reason, our goal, our timeline, our Lord, and our problem. That's how it breaks out, this passage. And all of these specific who, what, where, when, why, and how are addressed in this passage. Okay, Just another tool. It's not the right way to break it down. It's one way to break it down. Okay? So first, I want to look at our audience, right? Our audience. And that is the word that goes, or the where is the word. So where are we going to do our work? Well, right at the beginning, in the sight of God, right? In the sight of God. We know from Second Chronicles, this is not on your page, but we know from Second Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9 that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself, show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Therein hast thou done foolishly, or herein hast thou done foolishly, therefore from henceforth thou shalt have wars. Because God does see. It's the sight of God. Now, we're going to look at some things that are listed in Scripture as being in the sight of God, not a comprehensive list. Deuteronomy 4, 25, When thou shalt beget children, and children's children, and ye shall have remained long in the land, and shall corrupt yourselves, and make graven image, or the likeness of anything, and shall do evil, in the sight of the Lord thy God to provoke him to anger, other things will happen, right? The reason I'm, I'm sharing this is even when you do evil, it's in the sight of the Lord. Now, there's this kind of doctrinal quandary that God really can't be present in the midst of evil and abomination, and that's true, but it's still not beyond his sight. He understands it. He perceives it. He, he, he judges it, right? And so uh, in Deuteronomy 17, verses uh, 2 through 5, uh, we see that if, if there be found among you within any of the gates which the Lord thy God giveth thee, a man or woman that hath wrought wickedness in the sight of God, right? So wickedness, these evil things or wickedness, even in Judges 3, and the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot their God and served Balaam in the groves. In Second Chronicles 36, and verse 5, Jehoiakim was 20 and 5 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. Luke 16, 15, and he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, 
But God knoweth your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. Wow. Like God sees the evil. Right? So when Paul is telling Timothy, I charge thee in the sight of God, like you're not going to run from it. We, jo- jo- uh, Jonah, right? Jonah realized he couldn't run from God. Right? He came to that conclusion through unfortunate situations. God will be watching. We also see that there's good. First Timothy, earlier in the book of First uh, Timothy, chapter 2 and verse 3, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God. There are things that are bad, but there are things that are certainly good and acceptable. Spoiler alert, do the good stuff, don't do the bad stuff. Like you're, <laughs> you're going to be better off in your relationship with the Lord, <clears throat> avoiding the things that God, that God defines as evil, and doing the things and associating your things with the, 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 that which God says is good. I know it sounds like a big stinking duh, but we don't always do it, right? We don't always do it. Also notice it's not just good and evil, but it's things that was small. And yet this was in Second Samuel 7, and this was yet a small thing in the sight in thy sight, O Lord, or God. He can even see the details, you know, and this is kind of alluding to the fact that it wasn't super important, but he still saw it, right? Favor and understanding, Proverbs <laughs> chapter 3. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. God has an opinion on how you minister or how you are, right? Uh, in remembrance, in Acts 10.31, and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, and thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. God sees your sacrifice. He sees your service. He sees your prayers or hears your prayers and your, your, your giving. Even your ministry in 2 Corinthians uh, 2.17. For we are not uh, as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity... But as of God, in the sight of God, we speak, we speak in Christ. We speak in Christ. So our ministry, 2 Corinthians 4, 2, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. 7, verse 12, that our care for you in the sight of God might appear unto you. 1 Thessalonians 1, 3, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in sight of God and our Father. God sees not just good and evil, but he sees the detail of our life. When he looks down, could, could my message today be, could it be in the category of evil? I, I guess it could. I, I pray that's certainly not the case, that I would, would never be, be a situation where my teaching was an abomination or evil before the Lord. But it's, it's not without the possibility. So you all have a responsibility of keeping me honest in that. But nothing even that I say is so small that it, does, that it gets out of his sight. He cares about how I minister. He cares about how you minister. It's a thing. It's a thing. So our where is in the sight of God. Now, honestly, folks, that's kind of everywhere, right? We, we've addressed that. So the where is, is a little bit of an understood 
everywhere. But I think it's interesting that Paul specifically calls it out to Timothy when he says, I give thee charge in the sight of God. He actually points that out. He doesn't just assume Timothy is going to know or maybe even remember that every aspect of his life is going to be within the sight of God. We need to remember that. It should compel you in those moments when you're 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 wavering on right or wrong. It should compel you. Um, you know, I, there are times I, I had this situation this week where I had the opportunity to be extremely snarky to someone. And this might surprise you, but I have a snarky bone in my body. And the person honestly deserved it. They deserved a little snark coming out of me, right? Um, they did. They did. They deserved it. I'm, I wasn't going to hurt them. I wasn't going to berate them. But I was going to let them know my displeasure. I was going to let them know. And, and she's not sitting in the room. This is not addressed to Michelle. Uh, just some of y'all were thinking about it. Some of y'all were thinking, he's talking about, no, no. I have been in agreement 100% of the time with her this week. <clears throat> I think that might have just, what I said, fell into the evil in the sight of the Lord. I think that might have been a lie. But in that moment, I literally was convicted. I'm in the sight of God. I'm in the sight of God. What I say to this person is going to be in the sight of God. Irrespective of the testimony that I have, right, or would like to have, literally the words coming out of my mouth, God was going to see them. So the snarky factor dropped, right? Yeah, one time I had victory. (laughs) Don't always have victory over snark. And I've learned to be a little more respectful when I deliver snarky, and a little less sarcastic, and a little less jerky. But sometimes I still have to deliver the message. So my point in all of this is we need to remember that our actions, our words, our deeds are in the sight of God. I mean, just I mean, we spent five minutes on the first few words of the passage, right? So it continues that our reason, right? So go back up. I think it's just at the, I got to scroll up, right? I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. So he is the why. Now you might say he's the who, but I would argue that that is going to be addressed later in the passage. But he is, this is the why. And, and the, the description of him is what put may, caused me to put him in the category of the why, because he's our creator. Why am I doing this? Well, not just because he's God, but because he's our creator. In Colossians chapter 1, 16 and 7, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, so, uh, you know, there's you know, some really good science going on there, right? Even things like magnetism and, and electricity and things that we can see the effects of, but we can't really see. Even those invisible things were created by him. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. We even see in John 1, 3 that all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. 1 Corinthians 8, 6. But to, us, there is, um, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things and we in him. 
you know, one of the things that I try to communicate to our, our kids with respect to tithing, our kids with respect to, uh, or, or even teaching when, when I go through discipleship with respect to tithing or giving, the reality is you're getting to keep 90%. If you're just stick, sticking with the tithe example, you're getting the opportunity to keep the 90%. And you said, but I went out and worked on that. I, did, I worked. I, I earned that. I did X. I, I, I you, know, sh- you know, dug a ditch. I, I figured accounting. I whatever, right? I typed on a computer. I whatever. I counsel people. Like you fill in the blank of your job, right? I did that. Well, but, but let's call the 10% an oxygen tax. Let's call the 10% a light tax. The ability for you to see because you're borrowing his light to do it, right? Or, or maybe it's a gravity tax, right? Or it's the ability that the friction caused your brakes and your tires to turn on the road. We'll, we'll call it a friction tax. We'll call it a sustenance tax that you're alive, that your heart beat without you thinking about it, that your the neurons and electrons in your brain fired without you thinking about it. Like, yeah, you took what God gave you and you went and worked as you should. But honestly, you get to keep 90%. It wouldn't be unreasonable for the Lord to say you keep 10%. Heck, it wouldn't be unreasonable for him to say you keep 1%. Because he has provided the very platform. He's our creator. And yet Jesus is our example. When you look at the the passage, right? I give you charge. I give thee charge in sight of God who quickeneth all things before Jesus Christ. Uh, so, So God who quickeneth all things. He's the creator. And before Jesus Christ, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. So Jesus here, he is our example, in first in first uh, Peter chapter two, this is a this is a beautiful passage, literally paralleling this. First Peter two. 21 to 23, for even hereunto were ye called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, before Pontius Pilate, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to that, uh, to, uh, committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. So that is our example. So Paul is telling Timothy, don't forget how Jesus acted before Pontius Pilate. He witnessed a good confession. He witnessed, he produced a good confession by literally, in that case, keeping his mouth shut. And and that's a lesson I got to learn. I'm sure that I'm going to have to learn it again and again because I've got a little bit of a thicker skull than some people. And God's been very patient with me and he's taken me from... The, the guy that Michelle didn't even like before we started dating, who was a, just a big stinking jerk, to at least a guy that people can tolerate being around now. I think he can continue to work in me to be less of a jerk. Amen. Although I'm not sure I wanted you necessarily to reinforce that, but, but we'll run with it. Yeah. That was for all of us. Okay, okay, good deal. Okay, that wasn't for me. That, but Jesus are, is our example. Like, Jesus didn't, literally didn't pull out the, I, I am so glad he is our example. And I am not your all's example. Do not, do not, at the end of the day, think you should do what I do. 
don't for a second because I will drastically let you down. I will fail you at some point. Even though I love you all to death, I will fail you. I will not respond when you need me to. I will make commitments that I fail to keep correctly. I, like, I am going to fail you, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But Jesus, our example, will not. So our goal, our goal is the how, how we're going to get there, right? So we're going to keep the commandment, we're going to do it without spot, and we're going to do it in a manner that's unrebukable or blameless, okay? So that's the how we're going to get this done. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4 says, That good thing which is committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in thee. Keep the commandment. In 1 John 5, 2, By this we know that we, um, that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. Like, it's not an option. Keep the commandments. And we do it without spot. Now, Ephesians 5 and 2 Peter 3 really talk about the church being in him, right? Being without spot, with being blameless, um, the way uh, Paul puts it in Ephesians, that we should be holy and without blemish, right? And that points back to the sacrifice. I don't know if you remember, but back in the Old Testament, you weren't supposed to offer up the thing that was that had the, the, the lamb that had the disability, right? It needed to be the one that was a prime. Like it's easy to give God, give God the leftovers or that which is not good, right? Yeah. It's harder to give God the prized possession, but it's what he wants. Don't forget he was the one that busted and gave it to you anyway, but without spot. We need to be very careful that we don't allow the things into our life, into our fellowship, into our, uh, our church that are going to create spots. And I don't mean people, by the way. I, that was not a statement like we need to watch that door and not let people in. We need to lot, not let concepts in. We need to not let doctrines in. We need to not let attitudes in that would cause spot. Okay. Sometimes it's easy for us because it's harder to diagnose who has a good attitude or not. We, we prejudge, right, or we associate, we have a bias of what we see, what we've experienced in the past, and we project that previous experience onto the next person that walked through the door. We don't get that right as Christians. We don't get that right as believers. We need to let the Holy Spirit bring that out, right? So without spot, and this is really interesting, unrebukable, unrebukable. It's just another way of saying blameless. It's actually the same Greek word uh, that's translated in other places in your New Testament as blameless. Specifically, if you look at uh, Colossians 1, 2, or one twenty two, in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. Uh, in Jude 24, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Like, again, it's not a hard concept. Unrebukable, if you remember when we went through the passage that talked about pastors, for those of you who are here for that lesson, blameless is not the inability. It's not sinless. Let me just say it that way. Blameless is not sinless. Blameless is I've taken care of it. I've already paid that due. I've taken it to the Lord and he has, he has forgiven me of that, right? So I cannot be blamed for something that is open or undealt with. 
right? That's what blameless. I, I need to be. Um, I, I think I didn't. I didn't quite say that right. So, b- blameless would be that I have dealt with it with the Lord. If I haven't dealt with it, someone can blame me on it, right? So if I have, um, if I have, uh, the the one I would like here is kind of funny is cheating on my taxes. If I've cheated on my taxes 18 years ago, but I've dealt with it, you cannot really bring an accusation against me on that. Like, okay, yeah, I sinned 18 years ago and I dealt with it. Right, but if I filed my taxes this year uh, the wrong way in a way to to mess with the government to get some benefit, but I haven't dealt with it, well now I can be blamed, right? And that's what he's talking about here is unrebukable. Unrebukable is the same concept of, as blameless. I cannot be rebuked on that which I've dealt with. Okay. If you come to me and say, Mitch, you're a sinner, and the stuff that you have done is worthy of death, I would be like, yep, and Jesus has paid for it. I'm unrebukable because Jesus has paid for it, right? So how do we do it? We keep the commandment. We do it without spot, and we do it with – one of the other ways I call it is I keep my account short. If I've offended somebody, I try to deal with it. Right? If I've if I've if I've done wrong, I try to confess it. Keep your account short. But what's our timeline? Well, when do we do this? Well, it says specifically until he returns. If you go back to our to our passage here, uh, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of, the, of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the when. How long do we need to do it until he comes back? Luke nineteen, verse thirteen. Again, not on your notes. He. Jesus is talking about a parable and he says, occupy till I come. That's literally the concept here. Who shall conform you or confirm you unto the end that ye may be blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? We want to be blameless for sure in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ, being confident of this very thing, according to Philippians 6, uh, 1, 6, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, that ye may approve things that are excellent and that ye may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. See, that's the ga- that's the length of time that we're working here. I don't have the right to just live for the Lord yesterday. I got to live for the Lord today and tomorrow and until he either takes me home or he comes back. Like there's a um a look is it uh uh, uh I can't uh uh, Triple E song. The, they don't give out the uh, the, the sweet victory. Is that Triple E? Uh, Triple E, right? Sweet victory. They don't give out the trophies to whoever's winning in the first inning, right? Like they don't declare that the the victory is done after the third quarter of a football game. They don't give out the prize for the for the the race. At, at, at meter 99, they do it at meter 100. Because what? Things could change, right? You've seen comebacks in sports. You've seen people fall. You've seen whatever, right? That's what makes great sport. We don't get to say, well, I lived my life for Christ if I only did it for a season. You didn't live your life for Christ. You live your, you know, like I'm faithful to my wife. Well, on Thursdays. <laughs> well, that's not faithful, right? I don't get the opportunity to say, well, I'm faithful to Christ 
and, until, you know, until I hit 50. And then, you know, I kind of want to go into retirement mode. I'm just going to do me. <laughs> no. You know, that isn't the way it works. You do it until he returns. That's our timeline. And the Lord, so the who, so we saw that he was the creator, right? The kind of the why, the compelling reason. But now we see the Lord who is the only potentate. So I had to look it up too. Now a potentate is basically like a Lord. One of the testimonies in the baptism this morning, they talked about, uh, I think it was Mankit was talking about, you know, a Lord over like a, a land and that like, well, a, a potentate would be the same kind of thing. The most supreme person over something, right? So it could be land or it could be an army. It could be a gathering. It could be an organization, right? There's different ways, but the potentate is the um, president or the leader, or it's another way of saying Lord or King, but not limiting it to the things that a Lord or King would otherwise be over. If that makes sense. A potentate has a broader umbrella, or at least can be applied in different ways. Arguably, Sam, functionally, not spiritually, Sam is the potentate of this church. Okay? He is the senior pastor. Um, again, spiritually, the Lord is the, the head of this church. But, but he has the authority, certainly from, the, from a, a governmental standpoint, he has a, an accountability. So notice that in uh, Psalm 83, that men may know that thou, whose name alone is Jehovah, art the most high over all the earth. That's that same concept as potentate. You're over it all. The king of kings, lord of lords. Well, obviously, we know in the book of Revelation, I'm sure you've seen if you've read the book of Revelation, and on his vesture, uh, and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, king of kings and lord of lords. So it doesn't matter. And I, I do think this has become more poetic for us nowadays. But back in the day when people really had lords and they really had kings that could take and, you know, like we live in a... Like, I don't care what you believe about the United States and how we're moving politically. Like, kings could go up and they could just render someone executed. <laughs> like, that's pretty much not happening today, you know? There's accountability. Could could those kinds of things be happening kind of clandestine or, you know, make stuff of good movies? Sure, I guess. But generally speaking, our president, irrespective of the party doesn't have potentate power. He doesn't have king power. He doesn't have lord power like people lived under back in these days. Back in those times, to say someone was a king over a king was a really big deal. To someone to say someone that was a lord over a lord was a really big deal. So he is the only potentate, the king of kings and lord of lords. And notice that he's the only immortal Despite what uh, Marvel and anybody else says, um, and who, who notice in verse 15, which in his times he shall show who is blessed and only potentate, the king of kings and lord of lords, who only hath immortality. So don't let the wording throw you the order of the words, right? It's not saying that he, that's the only characteristic he has. He only hath more immortality. Right? We know that he had, he's omnipotent and omnipresent, but it's saying who only, he is the only one that hath, or, uh, hath immortality. 
which is really interesting because by definition, that means any immortality that you get, you get directly from God. The immortality you get is a gift from him. And notice in 1 Timothy, still in 1 Timothy 17, uh, 1 17, now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. I don't know what Paul was specifically going through that when he was writing the book of 1 Timothy, he wanted to communicate this point of immortality, but it's, it's, it's bigger than our life. It's bigger than the, than the constraints. It's bigger than that which we can see, right? It's beyond the visible. He's immortal. And then our problem. Our problem. No man can approach this light. No man can see him. That's a real... That's a, that's a problem. And I'm not... I think that's a, a typo that I've got... Um, First Timothy there again, but Exodus 33 verse 20, and he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. So, so you say, wait a second, how are we going to be with God? Well, no man, through your physical eyes, through your biology, seeing God would kill you. If somebody said, uh, I think Manser and I, I don't know if he's still here, I think he, he, he bugged out, but Manser and I had breakfast this week and we were talking to the to the server and, and she was like, you know, I, I know I believe in God, I believe in Jesus because, you know, I saw him come and he healed, he rubbed my feet uh, and made me feel better one day and, and, you know, when we walked out we're kind of like, well, that's weird. Well, no man can see God. That's not how God works. Now, can God heal you and make you feel better and make your feet not hurt? Amen. Yes. I've been there, done that. But, or at least experienced it. God's delivered in times like that. But we can't see him. We can't see him. And anybody who says they have is, is, is probably mistaken, to be honest. They're beguiled or, or confused. Probably not lying. Um, but no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten son, which is in the bosom of the father, he hath declared him. We see, we see God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we capture a glimpse of it. In Colossians 1.15, who is the image. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. So literally, our problem is that we cannot approach God. We can't see God. How are we going to be in heaven? Well, fortunately, we have a solution. And that brings us to our last slide. Ephesians 2, 13 through 18. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off, are made nigh, not just by Christ, but notice this, by the blood of Christ. It's the blood of Christ that cleanses and allows you to have access. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. He literally destroyed the divider that was between us and them. The inability for us to see God, which is described in 1 Timothy chapter 6, is broken down and we will be able to see God. We won't be man anymore. We won't be in our human flesh, but we will be able to see him. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity. Even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. For to make in himself of twain one new man and so making peace right that he might reconcile both unto god in one body by the cross again the blood and the cross that's how we get access there's no other way around it 
having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace unto you which were afar off, and them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. We have access to the, even though we don't have access today, I can't, if I saw God, I would presumably burn up. I don't, I don't even know. I, all I know is I couldn't see him and live. Like, I, it's kind of makes me think of Indiana Jones. I don't know, right? I, I don't exactly know what would happen. I don't know if my eyelids would be enough to stop his glory. I kind of don't think so. I kind of don't think so. Like, I can go, like, I can, you, you can close your eyes and you know that there's light in this room. If we were to shut off lights, it would get a little dark. I don't think even our eyelids could stop us from seeing his glory. I, there's not, that's our light. I mean, Brandon's eyelids are pretty thick. I've seen his eyelids and I don't even think his eyelids would stop. I know mine wouldn't. Mine are not that thick. And, but what I do know is that I can be nigh to Christ or nigh to God through the blood and the cross of Christ. So our discipleship decision today, right? Go back to, to look at the very beginning. I give thee charge in the sight of God who quickeneth all things and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light, which no man can approach unto, whom unto uh, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. So our discipleship decision today is, will you accept the same charge? I do believe Paul is writing Timothy a very personal letter, but I also believe Paul knows that Timothy is going to share that letter. That Paul isn't just writing just a personal communication. He's giving a letter to Timothy that Timothy can hold up and say, this came from Paul. This is what we're doing. Hey, we happen to do the same thing even today. I didn't get a letter personally from God, but we all did. I'm going to hold this up, and it's going to, it's going to become our standard. I, I give thee charge. I give thee charge, whole heart, in the sight of God. You have the exact same responsibility Timothy had. The exact same responsibility. You didn't happen to live in a place called Ephesus. You didn't happen to be pastor of an early church. But... You are in the exact same uh, exact same place doctrinally. You have the same challenges ahead of you. The same they might have different labels on it. They might have different faces on it. But you have the exact same things that Timothy had laid in front of him to overcome. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the day.